This is Why We Write, a podcast of Leslie University. Each week, we bring you conversations with authors from the Leslie community to talk about books, writing, and the writing life. This is episode one. My name is Emily Earle, and I am the social media specialist here at Leslie University. I'm here today with New York Times bestselling author and Pushcart Prize nominee, Katie Katugno. Katie received her MFA in fiction from our Low Residency Creative Writing Program in 2015. Katie, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me, Emily. (laughs) Awesome. Okay, so let's jump right in. Um, Can you speak a little bit about your journey to the writing program, your history as a writer, and what prompted you to seek out an MFA? That's a really good question. Um, I have always been a writer. Um, I've been writing since I could hold a pencil. One of my earliest memories is going to visit my dad at his office in New York, and he had a meeting, and he came back, and I had written, I mean, like seven pages of garbage, but (laughs) I'd written seven pages, and I was really, really excited about that. I went to Emerson College here in Boston um, for my undergrad. I did my BFA in writing literature and publishing there. Um, And my thesis, my senior year, um, ultimately became my first YA novel, How to Love. Um, And so while I was in the middle of that sort of publishing process, I realized that I loved loved the publishing world. I love YA, um, but I really missed being in the classroom. I missed being around other writers in kind of a workshop environment. and I'm also kind of of the opinion that you can never have too much practice. Um, so that was when I started sort of sniffing around um, MFA programs and low residency programs in particular. Uh, and Leslie was just, it felt like such a good fit. So you were in the publication process while you were in undergrad. Mm-hmm. And so what was that like? Can you talk a little bit about so I how actually, that all happened? Yeah. Um, when I was working on How to Love, I mean, I ultimately, the dream was to, to get it published. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until a few years later that um, I started subbing into agents and, and publishers um, and got a ton of rejections <laughs> <laughs> um, and ultimately trumped it for uh, about a year. Um, I didn't write anything for a year and a half after I graduated undergrad. Um, what were and you doing? I was doing all kinds of things. I was working an office job. I was watching a lot of Law & Order SVU. <laughs> I briefly considered starting a baking business out of my house. It was like I had like sort of a lost year, I feel like. Mm-hmm. As um, many of us do. Yeah. After, after I just kind of figure out, yeah, what I was going to be when I grew up. But So what made you pick it back up again? Yeah. There, it just was sort of that siren song of it always being in the back of my head. Um, and then I wound up reading an article in The New Yorker about um, Alley Entertainment. Which oh, okay. is um, a book packager and development company out of New York, mm-hmm. um, and they were at the time looking. They were launching a new arm of the business called the Collaborative, and they were looking mm-hmm. for writers who had young adult novels that needed a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And I happened to have <laughs> a first draft of a YA novel that needed a lot of work, mm-hmm. and so I sent had a love off. It was called Places We've Been at that time. Um, I sent it off, you know, mm-hmm. through the slush pile. Didn't hear anything for a year. Wow. But at that point, I mean, like, I had been sending things out and not hearing forever all the time. So mm-hmm. I didn't think anything of it. Mm-hmm. And then one day a year later, I got an email that said, do you want to come to New York? Do you want to have lunch? Do you want to talk about this? Um, wow. Yeah, it was. That's so insane. How did you feel when you got that? I was beside myself. But <laughs> they took me to lunch and were so lovely to me. We talked about the book and we talked about, you know, the characters and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 
at the end of the launch, they said, do you want to come back to the office and meet everyone? And I said, I'm sorry, I have to just ask you what is happening. <laughs> I said, yeah. are you, and they were like, well, we want to work with you. We want to work on this book. And I just, it, like, that moment of it becoming real was, like, I mean, it it was an amazing feeling. It was yeah, really like a real turning point. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Very cool. Um, so... You are a YA fiction writer. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it mean to write for young adults, and how is that different than other kinds of writing, do you think? That's a good question. Um, I love YA. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's As a genre, it's so elastic and it's so versatile, and I think things are really happening in the YA community. YA is really on the forefront, I feel like, of a lot of social justice issues mm-hmm. and a lot of really different kinds of storytelling Mm -hmm. Um, and in a lot of ways it's sort of further ahead for me than the rest of publishing I think. Interesting. Um, On a story level what is so interesting to me about YA is when you're a teenager you're experiencing so many different firsts you're kind of in a feelings tsunami all the time Um, everything you're feeling is the most intense Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's just really fertile ground for storytelling. So um, we are seeing a lot of activism strong voices bold statements from the next generation of teenagers and young students. Um, what is it like to write for that generation specifically? Knowing that that's, you know, they might have your, your you know, your, you have their ear, rather. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's a huge honor. Yeah. Um, the thing about writing for teenagers is that they are so incredibly honest in their feedback, mm-hmm. and they're also such an incredibly tough crowd. Um, mm-hmm. If you are not sincere if they are not buying what you're selling they will they will let you know um and I love that um mm-hmm. I like it really I mean it ups the stakes um mm-hmm. but but it's really exciting and I feel like I mean I, a question that I get a lot is if I feel like a particular responsibility mm-hmm. um right. you know to write a story with a moral or to find teachable moments yeah exactly mm-hmm. um and I think that's like sort of always in the back of your mind. I think that there are some stories that are maybe not as tellable mm-hmm. for the YA market. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm right now I'm reading um, all the ugly and beautiful, all the ugly and wonderful things, all the ugly and beautiful things by Bryn Greenwood. And I think, I mean, it's an incredible book, but it's a great example of a story that I think there isn't really a YA way to tell. Um, okay. Why do you think that? It's about the real. It's it takes place in like 1970s meth. Country Kansas, oh, okay. and it's about a relationship between a kid. I mean, she's very, when the novel opens, she's eight, mm. um, and a guy who is he works for her father in like the meth business, mm. and he is, I guess he's like nineteen when the story opens. Mm. I know, and it okay. is yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just an incredibly unsettling book, and I think it's a like it's a great example of empathy building, but also the kind of thing that there isn't a way to tell that. I sure. think for an audience. Like it doesn't teach. necessarily fit yes. that genre. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, I think as a YA author, your your obligation and your duty is always to just tell the most honest story that you mm-hmm. possibly can. And I feel like the teachable moments hopefully will follow. Right. Yeah. You don't want to kind of go into it with an agenda. Yeah. You want storytelling gets maybe eclipsed by that. First. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, you um, write about a variety of relationships, it seems like, <laughs> in, all, in all of your books. It's um, perked up like a prairie dog. Relationship, <laughs> relationship talk. talk. Yeah. <laughs> We're going there. Um, from, you know, romantic relationships to best friends to family. Um, is one more challenging? Is one more relatable to write for? Do you have a favorite? Um yeah. Um, I mean, I will always be upfront and say that I, I mean, I'm a love junkie. I love <laughs> kissing books. I write kissing books. Mm-hmm. Um, romantic relationships 
tend to be really interesting, fertile ground for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, as I, I mean, family relationships have also always been from the time I was working on How to Love. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, have, yeah, been kind of very all encompassing. Yeah, have um, been really important to me. Um, I noticed myself returning to relationships between sisters mm-hmm. over and over again. Um, do you have a sister? I do have a sister. Oh, okay, <laughs> excellent. Um, but I'm interested in the ways that you can love a person desperately, and they can also be the most difficult person in your life. So um, kind of like a yeah, a real life. <laughs> yeah, I'm really I'm interested in messy, complicated relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of all across the board. Mm-hmm. And you think that that's, you know, that's definitely a relatable thing for... I think so. The audience, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, you also develop a great sense of place in your you. books. Yeah, of course. Um, and I tend to um, want to live in your stories sometimes. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, Fireworks is Orlando in summer in the 90s. Um, and then, you know, Star Lake from 99 Days is this beautiful, picturesque, you know, lake town. Um, what is your world-building process? I mean, Orlando's a real place. And, right. you know, Star Lake is not. Or maybe based <laughs> on a real place. Um, so what is what is your process in kind of, like, creating these locations? Yeah. Um, setting is always so much fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like in a lot of my favorite books, the setting sort of becomes a character. Mm-hmm. Um, and the atmosphere sort of informs the relationship between the characters. Mm. Um, for example, Star Lake is a vacation town in the middle of the mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really wanted it to feel sort of like this town exists and then all around it is trees and mountains, basically. So it feels sort of claustrophobic and insular in that way, um, which sort of underlines what Molly is going through to feel like, you know, there's her entire, like, the drama of her entire life is taking place in this small town, mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like there's necessarily a way out. Um, so 99 Days is um, about a girl named Molly who is caught in a love triangle between two brothers. It is it's about first loves and second loves and girlfriendships, and also, I think, most specifically about the double standards that we hold guys and girls to when it comes to Very sex and romance. So um, yeah. I think... You know, Molly has, in a lot of ways, been a bad actor when when the book opens. Um, she mm-hmm. cheated on one brother with another brother. But, I mean, it, it takes two to tango, and I think she's really experiencing a lot of blowback that, that Gabe, uh, her sort of partner in crime, has not experienced. And so a lot of the book is her kind of coming to terms with that mm-hmm. and really trying to unpack how much of it she deserves and how much of it she doesn't deserve and what is the line between taking responsibility for your actions and not letting yourself be entirely blamed for something that was not entirely your fault. Mm-hmm. It does. It takes place over a specific time 99 period. days. 99 days. The length of one summer. <laughs> Very good. Um, actually, that leads me to something else. Because in a few of your books, um, you use timelines in a pretty unique way. Um, you know, in How to Love, every chapter jumps forward and backward in time. Um, Top 10 jumps over four years, different semesters at a time, different seasons. Um, How do you write that, and what do you think it is about this kind of non-linear timeline that helps tell the story? I am such a sucker for non-linear storytelling. Um, (laughs) And I actually think a lot of my fascination for it comes from my love affair with television. Um, When I think about shows that I've really 
loved uh, stuff like The West Wing or mm-hmm. Lost. Um, yeah. Those are shows that really play fast and loose with time mm-hmm. and do sort of leave the viewer scrambling to keep up and place themselves mm-hmm. in time and space based on what the characters are going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that is not everybody's cup of tea, but for me, I like I love that trick. And I think it's really interesting to be able to see how characters grow and change over you know, the course of, be it a summer, um, you know, be it your high school career, Mm -hmm. and to be able to kind of check in on them at different times. Yeah, no, I think that made sense. You kind of, as a reader, really need to pay attention (laughs) really hard. Um, But but it's a good thing. I mean, you know, you're creating these layers, I think, you know, that might not necessarily be there if someone was just kind of plowing straight through. Right. Um, My goal is always for a book to be satisfying in a different way on reread because I was such a rereader as a teenager. Oh, um, that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. So I think playing with time helps with that. Yeah, well, it's like one of those things you're talking about, you know, TV, and I think you can go back and you mm-hmm. always find something new, yeah. you know, and by doing that, I think that you kind of create, you know, these extras yeah. that people can go back and find. So this may seem obvious, but is there um, a specific place where you start when you get into a novel? Is it character, place, time period, a combination? Like, if you have the blinking cursor in front of you, Mm -hmm. you know? My answer is one of the things that I think drove... When I was at the program, I worked with Hester Kaplan and also Michael Lowenthal, um, Mm -hmm. who were both amazing and wonderful in so many ways. Um, (laughs) I tend to start with plot, which is not... The sort of quote-unquote literary way to start. What is the literary way to start? I, I mean, I think that the sort of prevailing MFA wisdom is to start with character. Ah, and okay. to kind of let the character take you on a journey. And I think that that is true for a lot of writers. Mm-hmm. For me, if I let that happen, I wind up with... I mean, like, my character will take me on a journey to the garbage. <laughs> like, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> um, I am someone who really needs to work from an outline. Um, okay. Who needs to sort of be familiar with what story I'm trying to tell mm-hmm. before I sort of figure out what characters are going to help me best tell it. Okay. And sometimes that plot, you know, sometimes the the plot starts with an image. Um, mm-hmm. Or, I mean, with How to Love, it was a boy. I want to write a story about a boy coming back. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to write a story about every... I mean, I started How to Love when I was 16, so I wanted to write a story about every unrequited crush I'd ever had. Um, <laughs> so your mining personal experience yeah, there a little bit. Exactly. <laughs> um, with Top Ten, I was really interested in... I, like, I love romantic comedy tropes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was really interested in a guy and a girl who were best friends. Mm-hmm. And what does that... Not that I'm trying to prove one way or the other, you know, can guys and girls be best friends without right. it turning romantic or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I was interested in a pair of best friends. Right. Um, and where that could go, yeah. and, you know, with all the kind of constraints that high school puts on you. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. then I was like, okay, who are these people? And mm-hmm. then I kind of went from there. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Wow, okay. So you kind of, the construct is there, and then and you then, kind of fill in. Yes. Paint, paint in the colors. Yes, for me, that's sort of how it works. Oh, okay. <laughs> Very cool. You recently became a full-time writer. <laughs> um, what prompted you to take that step, and what was it like before, and what's it like now? Yeah, I it, I had it sort of on my mind for a while as something that I would eventually like to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I've had the world, I mean, for 10 years, I had the world's best day job. Um, mm-hmm. I was um, an administrator at a nonprofit, and it was like, a va- like oh, they were amazing. They were like my work mom and dad, and they were mm-hmm. very much like, 
it was, they were so accommodating um, for all of, as I started to publish and as I would need to like leave and go do book stuff. Mm. And, you know, as I, like, I would be like, I'm on deadline and I can't come in. And they would be like, all right, well, we'll see. Like they were amazing. It's very accommodating. Very, like the world's best day job. Um, But I do, you know, as I've been getting older and as I've been wanting to take on more and different kinds of projects. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like, as I have been thinking about like, you know, do my husband and I want to start a family, all those Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. At the end of last year, um, a couple of ghostwriting opportunities came my way, which was very exciting. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so, I mean, like, I also, I think that it's always a responsible thing when you're talking about writing full-time to, like, point out that, like, financially, it's a really hard thing to do. Sure. Um, if you are not, like, like, I mean, I'm working on my stuff that is published under my name, and then mm-hmm. I'm, like, working, then I am, like, honestly working on other stuff. Really? Yeah. So you're kind of supplementing exactly. with other things. Um, okay. And, like, I have health insurance through my husband. Like, there's, like, right. all of those things. I always, like, you want to be saying that stuff it. is always really important to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think that makes – you really want to kind of paint a clear picture yes, of, exactly. of what it is, yeah. I think. Yeah. But it's been really fun so far. That's great. I really love it. It's felt really freeing to me to be able to kind of structure my own days in the way that, you know, that I best work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still kind of – it's only been two months, so I'm still kind okay. of figuring that stuff out. You know, like, when am I most productive? Like, how long can I work before I start to – like, mm-hmm. before it becomes, like, checking the internet time and all <laughs> that stuff. Um, but it also feels like a real privilege to, to like, be able to spend the time figuring that stuff out about myself mm-hmm. as a writer. It's really exciting. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I will um, say that, like, if I have a bad writing day, then it feels really bad now in a way that it, like, didn't used to feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, again, the stakes are a little yes, higher exactly. in terms of what your your day is shaped like. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what kind yeah. of is, you know, a prime writing day for you, you know? Can yeah. you just take us no, – I, I would imagine that maybe not every day is is typical. Right. Um, so, but it, to the best of your ability. Yeah, you, absolutely. Um, I am – I'm an early bird, so mm-hmm. I am – Definitely, like something that takes me 20 minutes before noon will take me an hour and a half afternoon. Um, and once I eat lunch, I'm kind of done for the day. Um, so I tend to get up really early because of that. I usually get up around 5.30 or 6. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Take the dog for a walk. Mm-hmm. And then I like try to be dressed. Wearing shoes is important to me. I try to be wearing shoes at the computer by like 7.30 or 8. Wow. Um, Does that feel different to you? Yes. Than when you're not? Okay. <laughs> Um, and like working at the desk versus working on the couch feels really different to me. All okay. those things sort of feel like... As I was sort of transitioning to being full-time, like, I wanted it to feel as much like a job, mm-hmm. like a grown-up job, yes, as possible. <laughs> so then I'll usually work, I'll work on, like, two projects before lunch, usually. Like, oh, so I'm okay. having, like, I'll have, you know, two hours where I work on, you know, something for myself, sure. and then two hours where I'm, like, you know, working on a, something kind of supplementary. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Okay. okay. I'm okay. ghostwriting some romance right now. <laughs> Wow. It's really fun. It's my favorite thing I've ever done. And it's such a different part of my brain. It's great. Um, (laughs) Like romance novels? Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. That is very exciting. Um, It's really fun. Growing up in, you know, late 80s, early 90s, um, what kind of influences were you kind of taking in at that time? And were you inspired by, you know, different books, different series, things like that? Yeah. Um, You're a big reader. I was a big reader. I was, like, definitely a Babysitter's Club, Sweet Valley High. Mm-hmm. Um, the only book my mother has ever taken away from me was a Sweet Valley High. Um, really? Yeah, it was one where Jessica, like, dates an older man. Do you know that one? He's got, like, a big 70s mustache. It's, like, a really, on the cover. That was going to say on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> I do know that one. <laughs> what are you reading? Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> 
But she, I mean, other than that, she, was, yeah. I think she was like, that looks like it's in bad taste. Um, <laughs> but everything else, she was like, we thought you were going to be. Um, yeah, of course. Yes. Your Judy Blooms album. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And then as I got older, I was very into like early Sarah and Jessen. Um, oh, sure. Okay. Was like, that was like sort of my big, my first big foray into YA. Mm-hmm. And then, like, for television, I was, like, a Saved by the Bell, Dawson's Creek. Like, all of my, like, I mean, the fact that I write YA is not a surprise. (laughs) That's definitely where my bread is buttered. (laughs) Nice. So those those were the influences. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. With kind of all of that in mind, where, how have you seen the genre change over time? And, you know, obviously that was what it was when we were growing Mm -hmm. up and, you know, kind of you are what it is now. Um, so then, like, drawing that line, like, do you think it's, like, cultural influences, you know, yeah. just different voices, the advent of social media, stuff like that? Absolutely. I mean, I think the most amazing thing that happened, you know, in the last 15 years is just how much more YA there is. Yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, when I was probably 12 and 13, there was, like, a very skinny, like, one of those, um, like, little revolving library shelves you know what I mean like a tiny thing mm-hmm. and that was it mm-hmm. of of YA and now I mean just you there is so much out there mm-hmm. uh, and the push to hear from a broader array of voices I mm-hmm. think is really like is something that is happening in YA again mm-hmm. in a way that it has not I, I don't think quite happened in literary fiction as much yet oh interesting um so I, that's what you mean by saying it's at the forefront yeah but, yeah okay I think, I mean, I, progress is slow. I feel like there is, that it's happening. There definitely mm-hmm. feels like there's sort of a groundswell and a wave of sort of just hearing from really innovative, fresh voices. Mm-hmm. And so do you feel like there's kind of more of, just in terms of storytelling, pushing for diversity, pushing for, you know, representation, mm-hmm. things like that? Absolutely. Yeah, so it's definitely something that you see kind of, Emerging, yeah, yeah, it's here. I mean, I think that there's totally room to grow, mm-hmm. a lot yeah. of room to grow, yeah. um, and not just hearing, you know, not just uh, authors, but also I think there's like a ton of room for more diversity on the publishing side, oh, um, editor, okay. agents, and editors. You know, mm-hmm. to look at who is making the decisions, who are, is acquiring books, mm-hmm. um, who is in charge of publicity for those books, all that kind of stuff. Right, right, right. Um, but I think it's coming. Mm-hmm. You have an upcoming sequel in the works. <laughs> so it's a sequel to 99 Days? Yes, it's called 90s and Nine Nights. Okay. Is this the first sequel you've written? It is. How did that come about? You know, will there be a sequel to 99 Days was hands down the most popular question that I get from readers. Um, Why do you think that is? I mean, 99 Days has an open ending, but a lot of my books have, unop- have open endings. They so do. I don't know <laughs> what it is specifically about that one that speaks to people, but mm-hmm. it seems to. Mm-hmm. And I love an open ending, and I'm not someone who needs a ton of resolution. So, like, it hadn't actually been a thing that I felt strongly about doing mm-hmm. until I'd actually – so my publisher and I had discussed it, like, mm-hmm. you know, sort of, like, hypothetically, like, as we're talking about, you know, what are the next things you want to write? You know, she had asked if that was a thing I would ever consider. Mm-hmm. And we started talking about it and kind of came up with – you know, I wanted it to feel really different. Um, I wanted yeah. it to feel fresh, and I wanted it to stand on its own. Um, okay. I didn't want it to feel like you had to have read – 99 days to enjoy nine days and nine nights. Oh, interesting. Um, so you can pick it up without... You can, absolutely. Okay. Um, I think that there are things... I think it will be sort of a richer experience if you've read 99 days, sure. but you definitely don't have to. Okay. 
because I feel like that's how I've come upon like some of my favorite books. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's like it's at a vacation house or it's like yes, you know what I mean? like beach house capsule yes, thing. Exactly. <laughs> or like a friend of yours has it. Mm-hmm. And so I it definitely can stand by itself. So it takes place um the summer after Molly's freshman year of college. And okay. she's spent her freshman year kind of turning herself into this entirely new person mm. you know she's drama free um, oh wow so a big is, switch yes she mm-hmm. is very well behaved mm-hmm. um, you know she's like pursuing this business major and she's serious and she you know like dresses in a capsule wardrobe and like really <laughs> is like organized and sort of pristine in a okay. way that is in direct opposition to the way that she kind of saw herself um, during the 1990s mm-hmm. um, she's got this great new book nerd boyfriend mm-hmm. Ian, um, and they are on a trip in Europe mm-hmm. and dun 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 the path <laughs> knocks on the door um, and you know everything kind of gets shot to heck um, wow that's really fun so she's trying to be good but then yeah, she, just can't, just... she can't escape it <laughs> So what was it like to come back to Molly as a character and the other characters I imagine you know popping up as well but Molly specifically yeah it was a lot of fun. In a lot of ways, it was like seeing a, seeing a high school friend you hadn't seen in a really long time mm-hmm. and thinking about the ways in which she would be different and the ways in which she had, would be the same. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to kind of try and slip back into her voice because, I mean, she's the same person, but she's had new experiences. She's a little bit older. She's a little bit wiser in some ways. Um, <laughs> but it was exciting. Yeah. It was a really good time. Yeah. You talked about ghostwriting. So what is that process like? Is that something that you are tasked with, you know, by a publisher? Is that something you seek out yourself? How does that work? Um, It is, it can be, it can work a bunch of different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, It can definitely come through the, you know, sort of publishing pipeline. Um, For the romance novels that I'm working on, uh, a friend of mine was ghostwriting for a particular company and Mm -hmm. they were looking for more voices. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I did an audition and... I got the job. Um, what kind of an audition do you have to yeah, do they, something like that? They send you sort of a scenario and okay. you, like, they give you the characters, which is, you know, how most writing works. They give you the characters, they give you the plot, they give okay. you all that stuff and, mm-hmm. a, you know, a chapter by chapter outline. Wow. And you just sort of wind up and go. It's Did you have to write a chapter for them and then um, submit it? Or yes, I wrote okay. a, yeah, for the audition I wrote a chapter. Okay. Um, it's so much fun. It is a completely different. It's like taking. It's like going on vacation in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. It's all the stuff that I really enjoy about writing, like the pure pleasure parts. Mm-hmm. You know, like they'll just like someone has already solved all the problems. Sure. So the pieces are in place. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I get to come in and like write funny dialogue mm-hmm. and you know what I mean, like write kissing scenes and do all that <laughs> stuff. You know, and somebody else has done the heavy lifting already. Mm-hmm. I think that there are, I mean, the flip side of that is then, you know, you, there are always those moments of, I might do this a different way, or, you know, the voice is, like, this is not quite the voice and I'm comfortable writing it, or any of that mm-hmm. stuff. But for the most part, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. That's awesome. For the Leslie program mm-hmm. specifically, um, it's a low residency program. Yep. How do you think that was beneficial to you as a writer? Um, do you think you could have benefited from more of, you know, in person, or do you think it was better that you know you kind of took the writing back and then workshopped it when you were here? Yes. How how did that work for you? I love a low residency format because I feel like first of all it opens up the program to people who, like for whatever reason, are not in a position to be in school full time, mm-hmm. um, and so just like people from a broader variety of walks of life, mm-hmm. and so you get to hear 
stories that you wouldn't ordinarily hear. Um, there was a guy in my cohort who was writing a memoir about being one of the guards at the Ilsa, the Isabella Stewart Garden Museum the night that the heist happened. Like, Whoa. I know, it's so weird. That's crazy. That was amazing. <laughs> I was like, buddy, I'm interested in your reading. But like, that is not a guy, you know what I mean? Like, he was mm-hmm. doing this in two weeks out of, you know. Right, so that's not necessarily something then. I would have heard. Yes. If, yeah, exactly. it had been a different kind of program. Right. Mm-hmm. It was also just really nice for me, because I was already publishing, Mm. to have a place to go where, like, it's so Mm craft-oriented. But for me, it was was really fun. And I also just really like meeting other writers and, Mm -hmm. you know, and sitting in a workshop and, you know, going to lunch and Mm -hmm. doing all that stuff. So what kind of things did you work on? Were you working on your book, or was the book already published at that um, point? Yeah, I was not. I did the straight fiction track while I was here, so I wasn't working on YA when I was here. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah, and so that was good for me, too. I was, like, really using a different part of my brain. That's great. It was fun. <laughs> um, I was working on a novel that I had been sort of noodling with for years and years. It's tentatively called World Without End. It's about... Um, Three brothers, whose brothers are also with me in my work. Siblings, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Um, sexy brothers. Sexy uh, brothers. <laughs> whose parents have been missionaries in Central America when they were young. And they had a sister who might or might not have been mentally ill. She saw an angel. Um, mm-hmm. And so the question was, you know, is she, was this really happening or, oh, or was she having, like, a psychiatric episode? Okay. And then she later disappeared. And so the novel was about they the parents had died, they needed to divide the property, and they were trying to find the sister. I have not finished it. I hope to. <laughs> but I had a great time working on it while I was here. Yeah. Is that something that you kind of pick up and put down periodically? It is, yeah. Okay. Uh, and I would definitely like to write on the adult literary side at mm-hmm. some point. Um, and now that I'm full-time, that is like a thing that I hope to have more time to kind of devote to. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. So what else is next for you? That's a really good question. Um, right now, I'm working on um, my next book, which is tentatively called Waterland. It is different than anything that I've ever written before in that it has sort of a fantastical element. Oh. Uh, it's contemporary. It's a love story. But it is about a girl who turns up in sort of a Fall River-esque, Gloucester-esque, Massachusetts okay. town. Mm-hmm. And she is neither who nor what she seems. Wow. <laughs> okay. And, I mean, it's also, it's a family story. It's okay. about grief. It's about, okay. um, I mean, it's about the opiate ep- uh, epidemic. It's about all, wow. yeah, it's about all kinds of different things. <laughs> um, but, I mean, like, I wrote it, and so there's kissing in it, and there's, like, probably going to be, like, a festival of some kind. I mean, like, there are things that I return to over and over, regardless mm-hmm. of what story I'm telling. And so it's still very much a Katie Couture notebook. Well, it sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get it written. <laughs> yeah? So that's what you're working on right yeah. now? Yes. Very cool. So what kind of research do you do for these books? That, um, I do all kinds of different research. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now, um, a character in Waterland is a boy named Hunter who lost both of his legs in a car crash when he was a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now he's a senior, and so it's been, you know, several years since this happened. But you, of course, when you're writing a character with a disability, you want to do as much research as possible. You want to make sure you're being as sensitive and having, you know, writing him with as much empathy as you mm-hmm. possible. And so a lot of that was, like, 
doing a lot of Googling, reading a lot of medical books, figuring mm. out what his experience would be like. What is the treatment for, you know, chronic pain like that? What mm. is, you know, what are the specific obstacles that he would face? You know, like, what is it like to fit a 15-year-old kid with prosthetic legs? Like, all that stuff. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, stuff that I have no background in that I now, you know, I can talk about that stuff now. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else you would like to tell us? Or I mean, thanks for having me. This has been amazing. This was such this was such a good time. I'm so glad. It's such a joy to read your books. It was like again, I just kind of want to disappear into the world and like I mean a lot of the times it is very messy, but it's you know, sometimes like the high school, you know, experience that maybe I wish I had had and you know, you like are <laughs> so yeah. Um, well right. thank you so much for being here. This was thank this you was a guys. pleasure. Yeah, super wonderful. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> All right, well we'll look for uh, upcoming work from you. Please Can't wait. Do. Yeah, definitely. Thank Thanks, you. Katie. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Next week, we've got a great conversation with Rachel Kadish, the author of The Weight of Ink. Here's a sneak peek. I know these people because I grew up among refugees. My grandparents were Holocaust survivors. My mother was born on the run. And there was something about that fierce determination to rebuild, the beauty of that, the fear that everything is hanging from a thread, everything could fall apart at any moment. It was so familiar, even across the centuries and different um, communities, different issues. So I thought these are the people I want to write about. For more information on anything that you heard today, please check out the show notes or visit leslie.edu slash podcast.